Welcome to our latest edition of Mr. Fitz Podcast. I'm Barrett Birchfield. We're honored to have as our guest, Mr. Jonah Allen. We're in Jonah's gallery here on uh, the beautiful area of 30A, Florida. If uh, you guys know where that is, it's in between Destin, Florida and Panama City. Uh, but we are gonna get to talk to Jonah today about not only his love and his passion for artwork, which we're gonna talk some about, but also how that goes into his life and how that works into surfing, which he loves to do as well. And obviously at the end of this, we're gonna link you not only to his work, but to some of his surfing as well and some of the, the videoing he's done there. It's absolutely amazing. You will love what you're gonna hear on today's Mr. Fitz podcast. So Jonah, thank you for letting us come to your gallery today. And it's something that I've kind of wanted to do. You know, we talked about this months ago. I said, hey, I would love to have you on our podcast. And most of the time when people say, okay, we're gonna have an artist on the podcast, they, they think, okay, we're gonna talk about artwork and things like that, but there's much more to it. And there's much more to who you are. And there's a lot of kind of a backstory of what got you here and what you do and, and how that works into your daily routine. If you can start us off just a little bit and give us a brief history of kind of where you started, what, where did photography come into your life? Where did a passion for water come into your life? And then when was that moment that you knew this is something I wanna do? Yeah, so I'm stoked that you guys are here. Thanks for having me and the podcast. Um, yeah, my origin story, I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I grew up landlocked, so away from the ocean. And kind of what set the trajectory of my life was I learned to surf actually down here in the Gulf of Mexico when I was probably about 12 years old. And that experience single-handedly changed my life because it taught me just the transformative power of water and just how powerful it can be. And so... Uh, yeah, I just was, I never felt like I belonged in Georgia. I felt out of place. I had a great childhood, great, up, great upbringing, really incredible family, but I just never felt like I belonged in Georgia. And so went to University of Georgia, um, and I picked up a camera when I was probably 14 or so, not too long after I learned to surf. And I didn't know it, but at the time, my subconscious love to be out in the water and make images because it felt like I was surfing. It was like the closest I could get to surfing when there weren't actual waves. That's not the reason why I make work now. But that's what kind of started it. And I just literally picked up a camera and I just could not put it down. Uh, it just was with me everywhere and all the time. And I always gravitated towards making images that made me feel connected to uh, nature, connected to God, the universe, the divine. And so that's why I create the artwork that I create today. It's because I want to share the emotion that I feel when I'm alone in the ocean. I want to sh capture that and share that feeling so people can feel similar or like what I was feeling in that moment. Um, but going back to how I got started, I went to University of Georgia and then I traveled for about a year chasing waves because I grew up landlocked and all I wanted to do was surf. And uh, through that process of traveling and still making images, um, I just always knew I wanted to try to find and design a lifestyle, find a way to design a lifestyle around surfing because it's such a big part of my life. And um, 
I never knew exactly what I was going to do when I was in college. I just knew I was not going to be in a corporate job. I wanted to be a musician originally, and then I, I worked at a recording studio, and I realized I didn't want to be in a box all the time. And I just saw um, an opportunity. Um, I just kind of saw a designing a life around the water through this vehicle of art. I just felt like the best vehicle uh, for me to design the life that I wanted, even though I didn't know I didn't know the path to get there. I didn't know the exact lifestyle I wanted. I just knew that I wanted to live an alternate lifestyle. And I really, I truly wanted freedom. And so looking back, like, I really, and still do to this day, I design my life around having freedom. You know, I want to have uh, time freedom, because you need time freedom to surf. Um, uh, financial freedom, so I can travel when I want, when I want, how I want, and uh, then location freedom. So even though I'm tied to this area, I still do have a little bit of location freedom through this this uh, vehicle, I guess. Um, that's kind of the best way I can put it in a really short story. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It does, it, it, and it actually it spurs more questions. And I see John over here nodding, so I'm going to step back and, and, and let him ask the question. Then I'm going to hop right right back in because, man, what you hop, something you said in there just is a completely different mindset than most people have and, and that most people grew up with. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I I was kind of queuing on, on the um, that emotion you feel when you're in the water, um, connecting with nature, surrounded by nature. I love the outdoors. I, mm -hmm. I love being in nature. I, I live in the woods uh, kind of mm -hmm. thing. So how in your mind do you create the perspective to go from a day at the beach pictures that we've all taken to the amazing artwork that we're surrounded by? That's a great question. And I think there's something you said there that's really insightful um, in that you could, we could just go to the beach or we could just be in our surroundings every day, mundane life, and you see the same thing every day. You could just walk past it or you can notice the subtleties and the beauty around us and it's really just kind of an intention or a focus on on seeing that natural uh, beauty and so for me as an artist you know I'm not making a painting so I can't just make a composition and create whatever I want to create I'm I have to use what's already there the landscape the light uh, different colors in the landscape um, there's so many different variables, the tide, the wind, the swell, and um, I have to use those variables and change my perspective with those variables to make a really interesting composition to be in the right place at the right time. But the best way I can describe uh, my process is like I, I kind of am focusing on that emotion. That's the first and foremost thing that I'm focusing on is like the feeling. And so if I'm not feeling that naturally when I'm out there, then it's probably not going to be a, a good image. Like I have to feel wow. excited, but you can't, I can't rely on, you know, excitement coming to me. I have to, it's like, I feel like a practice. Like I just have to go out and do it every day. And by doing it, the excitement will come in the moment, if that makes sense. But, uh, I really focus on the water from three different perspectives. 
uh, one in the water. So I'm swimming around with the housing around my camera um, and I'm photographing the waves like these really peak moments of anticipation. I'm freezing a, a really interesting frame. The other is like focusing on the water and the sand from the sand. The last is like focusing on the coastline from the air from helicopter. And uh, I guess the, the best way I can describe it is just putting myself there consistent, consistently in the right place at the right time. Because um, photography really is all about perspective. And so I just show up consistently every day or every other day. And I'm putting myself in an interesting perspective for an extended period of time. So that way, during that window of time, when all the variables might align for an ephemeral moment, and I'm, I'm there. That's the best way I can probably describe um, what it takes to make uh, an interesting image, in my opinion, just to be there consistently um, in those ephemeral moments. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. It's not just you can't force it to happen. You can't right. make it happen. You got to be there when it happens. Exactly, yeah. So like yesterday, uh, we had a hurricane. I'm very grateful it didn't hit us here. Hurricane Ian, but it really devastated uh, South Florida and the Gulf. But it produced some waves. So I got to surf yesterday, but I also got to make a lot of images yesterday. And literally, I can tell you that like yesterday, the water clarity was the clearest it gets. I haven't seen the water that clear with the waves like in eons. It was so beautiful. Mm. Yeah, and something that that another thing, John, that, that you you had asked, and Joni, you kind of brought it up through. At no point in there did you reference having your phone or checking a message um, to get the perspective that you're talking about. It seems like you have to be immersed in the moment. You have to be fully immersed. Present. Even you're in the water, you're immersed anyway, but you're not distracted. Like there's no distraction. And when you look at your work, you can tell that is your main focus. Going back to what you said earlier, you said at a, at a young age, you knew that regular corporate work wasn't for you and you started to engineer your life. Now that sounds very familiar to me. I heard it when I was about 42 years old, <laughs> okay? <laughs> As a teenager, what, what freed you up to think I can engineer my own life? Because most people don't, don't get that freedom. Most people think I have to do this, I have to get a, nine to, get a degree, nine to five, work for someone, save a little money, hopefully get a house, vacation twice a year, prison of a life. Mm -hmm. And as a teenager, you're like, no, nah, I'm gonna do it a different way. Like, what was the thing in your life that either something your parents showed you or something that you saw and mirrored? Because that, that's just not a natural, that's not a natural thing. Yeah, it's a great question. I mm -hmm. don't think it occurred to me as a teenager. Okay. Like, oh, I didn't know as a teenager I wanted to be an artist. I thought I wanted to be an artist in a different way, like a musician. And I just saw myself living an alternative lifestyle mm -hmm. through music. Um, and I was really attracted to that kind of lifestyle at the time, traveling and, and being with a band of brothers, you know, performing every night and having that energy. Um, but I, yeah, I, I was not, I didn't know that this was the path that's going to create as a teenager, but I think the variables, I can't attribute it to like designing a life. I don't think I really started to consciously know the, de the design of life until maybe like five years ago or six years ago. But I think as a, I think going back to childhood, uh, I think my parents had a big influence on me, even though 
they, my dad was, was a pilot, and so he worked hmm. a corporate job, mm -hmm. but it was almost like an alternative type of corporate job. He'd be gone a lot, and be mm -hmm. home a lot, and so through that, we got to travel a lot, and so traveling is really important to me, and so I don't, I think that had an influence for sure, because it was, it was a corporate job, but it wasn't mm -hmm. typical nine to five. It was an alternative kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and my parents were very supportive of me. Uh, I think, you know, they kind of gave me tools, bought me instruments, um, you know, and said, you want to play this sport? You want to do this? You know, they were, they were encouraging and loving and whatever I was chasing after. Um, but yeah, I think it didn't occur till, I think what really happened actually, now that I think about it, is my subconscious wanted to surf. Mm -hmm. And so my subconscious growing up at Atlanta, landlocked was like, how can I, how can I get myself to be able to surf every day, but also have a really awesome lifestyle without sacrifice, not, you know, not being a surf bum. Like I don't want to just be a vagabond, um, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Nice, I totally just nice like thought that through in the moment, but I think that's the best way I can put it. My subconscious just wanted to have freedom to surf. It's like what you were built to do. Because I, I can't, how did you, you're an incredible athlete. I saw the video Varric showed me, was it Puerto Rico? It's in Peru. Peru? Peru, yeah. You're off the coast of Peru and you're like, what was that you were? It's called a hydrofoil surfing. Yeah. And you rode that wave for how long? Yeah, a really long time. So yeah, I went to Peru about a month ago to chase uh, a storm, a swell. Yeah. And uh, about a year ago, I started hydrofoil surfing. It's a different version of surfing. There's lots of different forms of surfing, but hydrofoil surfing, basically, it's like basically like an underwater airplane wing where the, the wing harnesses the energy deeper down in the wave, and there's more energy the deeper down you go. So it's a more energizing experience. It's, it's a little more intense. It's faster. Um, I totally forgot your question. I was, I was interested in how a person who grows up in northern Georgia, um, what what sports did you do, or how did how did you get to the point of I can now surf? I love it. I'm going to do this moving forward because it, it doesn't seem wait. I mean wakeboarding, uh, skiing. Yeah, I just I didn't really have exposure to wakeboarding. I just I feel like once someone if they catch a wave, yeah. you catch your first wave, you get bit by the bug, and it's mm -hmm. like there's no other feeling that does it for me. Like you're completely immersed in the present moment. I mean, I get a similar feeling from when I'm making images and I'm totally locked in, you know. People get it from yoga, meditation, skiing, I mean, working on something, you're in that flow state, but for me, there's nothing that gets me into a state like surfing does, so I just, it's like conditioning, like I just want to be in that state as much as possible. It's a freedom, it's a connection, it's yeah. an emotion, it's surrounded by nature and beauty. Yeah, the best way I can describe it to someone who's never experienced surfing before is that basically you're, you're harnessing energy in one of its rawest forms. If you think about it, a wave is just energy propagating through the medium of water. That energy was created from the sun, which gets transferred to wind, and then that wind you know, transfers it to the water. And so that energy propagates and moves for thousands or hundreds of miles until it, it's unleashed um, onto sand or rock, wherever the wave is breaking. And so as a surfer, you get to kind of toy with that energy and harness that energy. And uh, it's really, <laughs> no pun intended, like 
energizing. Mm -hmm. You know, it literally like just lights you up. And so uh, I, I, I kind of chase that through my work, that feeling, uh, and also through uh, surfing. And it just really for me, like surfing just kind of resets me. The best way I can, like that trip I just took in Peru, like it was literally like, it's like a chiropractic adjustment, but for mm -hmm. my mind, it just wow. resets me. I'm like, I feel like a better person. And I can be a better person just because, like, it's a great way of expelling a lot of negative energy, you know, or frustration, or um, literally, like, the ocean, you know, sometimes it has the ability to just, like, wash your worries away. Like, clear your mind. Yeah. You know, something we talked about at lunch the other day that stuck with me, and I even talked about it with, with my wife that night and with actually with my kids, and you said, and, and you guys, we'll, we'll link uh, the, this, this wave that Jonah's talking about in Peru. It's a seven and a half minute wave. That's right, yeah, seven. 25 miles per hour. Like, it's not yeah. just, hey, I'm chilling on this wave. It, you're cooking on this wave. And uh, something that you said in there applied to life so well. You said in the middle of that, it's, it said seven and a half minutes. Is it four meter? I mean, yeah, four, not four meter. Yeah, Kilometers. yeah four kilometer long wave. You said everything's about micro adjustments. Mm -hmm. So if for somebody who's never surfed before um, and kind of somebody who's never engineered their life the way they want it to before, what's the importance of a micro adjustment from mm. starting on a wave and actually being able to complete the wave all the way to your destination? Like how, how important is that in the moment to, your, to, to what you're doing? Yeah, it's essential to everything because, you know, you might, when you're surfing, you're setting a line, you're looking down the wave, really far down the line to see what that part of the wave is going to do in the future. And you're, you're locked in with that. So you have a sight of where you're trying to get to, but along the way something might happen that you don't foresee and you have to react in the moment. And so, you know, how that translates to life is really, I think, like, imperfect action maybe like you just have to do sometimes and you have to move really fast in the moment and it might not be perfect it might be 80% good or 80% done it's not 100% perfect but you're able to still keep moving forward and having these micro adjustments um, so that you can get to where you want to go and adjusting to whatever the world around you throws yeah. at you. Yeah, I mean, so, so I love the ocean so much. Like, the ocean's for sure, like, one of my greatest teachers. Mm. It just, there's, it teaches you something every time you go in the water. But we were talking about this the other day. Mm -hmm. But on one hand, it's like you're completely out of control. Like, you can't really control anything. But the one thing that you can control just like in life, the one thing you can't control is your, your thoughts and your actions, right? Mm -hmm. My belief is that our thoughts, you know, influence our actions and our actions over time create habits. Our habits over time create our personality, which create our personal reality, which then create our, our destiny and creates our life. And so even though in the moment in the ocean you don't have control of your external surroundings, you can control you know, your thoughts and your actions. And in the moment, it can be really scary, and you have to make quick decisions. You know, if there's big waves or you get in a, a bad position, but 
through that conditioning, like a little micro conditioning, it conditions, like it's, it teaches you, the ocean teaches you um, how to react in maybe some dangerous or uh, scary or heavy situations. And how does it, so how does it teach you? Because you said, you said when you're riding a wave, and this is funny to me because I'm a terrible surfer. When, when you said when you're riding a wave, you pick your line of sight. But to me, if I'm, if I'm riding a wave, it's, it's only to try to stand up. Like I don't have a line of sight <laughs> whatsoever. It's just, can I not get dumped on my face? So it, how long did it take you to where you got to a point of mastery where it's not let's just stand up and let's get going, but I can actually pick my destination and work my way to get there. That's a completely different form of surfing than what I try to do out here. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not a master. That's what I want to be a master one day, but I'm uh, definitely late to the party because mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, uh, landlocked. Mm -hmm. But I think it's different for everyone. Like some people have, you know, natural ability or maybe, you know, their body physique or body shape supports them being a better surfer. But I think it just depends how much time you put into it. I bet you after like, if you got to surf every day for like one week, consistent waves like you in one week you could like hmm. seven days of surfing you could like could be looking down the line just just exposure it's just you know learning a skill any type of skill mm -hmm. it just takes some time and practice the only thing listening to you talk about it the only thing i can relate to uh varic and, and you would know about this too have you ever ridden a motorcycle i have yes okay i i did that a lot uh growing up what i love about it is being in nature you're immersed in the sensory experience sounds, smells, sights, but when you're carving a corner, when you're leaning into a corner, um, I, I would imagine, I've never surfed, I've never even tried, that balance and uh, balancing your body and its position with your equipment, uh, with what the world is, is providing at the same time, that seems to me what it would be like. And, and you've done both. You've ridden a motorcycle quite a bit and surfed. Would you say that's a fair comparison? Is it any, any kind of similar? Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're using your body and having to react in the moment to, the, to make just really slight adjustments. Um, and the, the, the plane in front of you is changing at right. the same rate that you are. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to be like, you have to be see, see that change, you know, or calculate that change ahead of it actually occurring, similar to, you know, a bank of a motorcycle for sure. And I think also when you are driving a sports car, like, <laughs> and you have to pick your line you have to know when you're going to be braking and all this type of stuff that, that you don't do that day one, right? I wasn't, I wasn't going to bring in Formula <laughs> One on this, but I'm a yeah. bit of a nerd. So um, do you know the Atlanta Motorsport Park? And I don't know if we'll keep this in the show, but do you know Atlanta Motorsport Park? It's north of Atlanta. Uh, I, have no um, idea. I had the opportunity to take a GTR around there. But what I did was um, memorize the track. So I watched a ton of video of uh, instructors that were telling you where the braking points were, the turn-in points, acceleration, where you had to be at what point. And it, it does, if you look at the track, it, it looks, some of the corners feel like a wave, you know? And it's about friction and motion and acceleration, deceleration, which is the world. It's how I'm relating to it in motorsports right now, probably poorly, but um, I, I can't imagine what that would be like. It seems to me that it would, especially with that foil board you were talking about, would feel like flying. Oh, no, foiling feels like flying because you're, there's a mast that's uh, it's like 32 inches. So you're raised anywhere 28, 32 inches above the, the water. Mm -hmm. And it, 
what that does is you have like no drag because the mast is literally that wide. And so it's, it's silent. It makes no noise, really. So it's kind of eerie the first couple times you do it because it's, you're used to hearing the sound of a board gliding across water, but you literally don't hear anything. And then you're literally flying. So it's, it's, it's truly, it's, it's otherworldly. It's crazy. I'm totally hooked on it. So where all have you surfed? Now, obviously, we know you surf Peru, but you've been to a number. You spent a year in Hawaii. Yeah, right? so I, I've kind been very fortunate to out. travel to. Yeah, I mean, I've been a lot of places. I don't even. I've been to Hawaii a couple times, Central America many times, like Costa Rica, El Salvador, Nicaragua. I've been around the Caribbean, uh, in the United States, the West mm -hmm. Coast, East Coast, um, Mexico. Indonesia is one of my favorite places. Europe, I've been very fortunate to surf a lot of places. And you've, um, you've been in all those places, and you were talking the other day about there's, there's variables in everything you do, right? In, in business, there's variables. In mm -hmm. life, there's variables. Relationships, there's variables. And the more variables you can control, the better your outcome, usually, right? And you said that there's three variables with the ocean. There's sand, reef, and rock. Mm -hmm. So which is your favorite and, and why? Right. Yes, yeah. yeah, so at the bottom, the substrate uh, of whatever a, a wave is breaking over determines the shape of the wave it's going to break. But I love um, uh, what's it called point breaks, like rock. It can be rock or reef, but that specific type of wave is just like a really long um, one directional wave where you only ride it one way and just more because of all the other variables are changing so much to have that one variable being constant, it makes it a much easier surfing experience and it makes it more, uh, you can get more waves really because you can calculate in your head, like it just makes more sense. Very cool, very cool. I wanna, I wanna follow um, your artistic ability for a minute because, um, and, and guys, I wish we could pan the camera around and show you this entire gallery because it's phenomenal. It's amazing. I mean, it really is special. Yeah. You can see it on his website and it doesn't do justice, doesn't. especially I think with the scale at which you print. But when did you know, I'm good at this, I really enjoy it, and I'm, I'm able to capture something special? That's a really good question. I'm not, I don't think there's ever a single moment where I was like, this is it, this is what I'm doing. I just always had a camera with me. I was always I was already doing this for my for I'm gonna do this the rest of my life. I already knew I was gonna do it for the rest of my life. It was just a part of my life. I just I it's what I do. So I there was never a single moment where I decided that, oh, this is it. But I think when I was in high school I'd say, is when I really like started focusing on making images, like images of these style, which is it's transformed a lot in the last ten years. But yeah, I just I kind of saw it a vision when I was in high school, but it really wasn't until I was moved down here, and I kind of saw an opportunity in the area um, that there was nobody else doing something like this. So I just kind of saw an opportunity in that regard, and I just went full uh, force at it and committed to it, and I committed to it, and I had clarity that it's what I, that I knew it's what I wanted to do. And I think through that commitment um, and that determination, I was able to kind of get to where I am today. Um, I just had, I had faith and I saw 
I could just kind of see the lifestyle, and I just kind of saw it working. In my mind, there was no, like, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this, and it might take me a year, it might take me five, it might take me ten, but I'm not going to stop trying, you know. Um, even though I wanted this, there are many times where I failed so much, you know, through anything, you, you know, you learn by failing. Mm-hmm. So many failures, but um, that's where you learn, you know. That's, God, that is so true. <laughs> I know in my own entrepreneurial experience, I've, I failed more than I succeeded, but I kept getting up on the board, right? Mm-hmm. I kept falling off, but then I, I'd get back up on it. And um, whether it's relationships or work, um, art, uh, how many pictures would you say, how many images would you say you need to take to get this to happen? It's, it's different, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't quite translate. Not a formula. Yeah, but I mean, I can tell you I have two, I have a hundred terabytes of pictures. Wow. <laughs> right now. Whoa. So literally a hundred terabytes of data. So I'd say like one, and usually I take like a thousand to two thousand, maybe three thousand photos and I'll get like one really awesome one. Wow. Like if I can, like, if I can produce like 10 stellar images a year, like 10, like that I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm happy. Wow. Okay. So that, that just, to me, I, I can't even, uh, I can't even understand. So that there's a level of excellence that you have to hold yourself to. Cause me, I would be like, after a thousand pictures, I'm like, <laughs> half of those are great. You know what I'm saying, and then yeah, but you would come and look and go. I really don't see any of yeah, these that are great. It's H- how did you determine what that standard is? Because whenever that's a lot of pictures, whenever I look at a photo, I, mm-hmm. I make a decision really fast. I because I looking. I'm through through. You know, like yesterday, I shot three mm-hmm. or four thousand photos. I'll pan through each one one at a time, mm-hmm. and it's not. I don't overthink it. I literally make a de- mm-hmm. decision in a split second, like a rating of like one through five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't overthink it. It's really a feeling. It's, right. it's more yeah, yeah. intuition of like, oh, that really speaks to me. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's just that, that process of uh, looking at the work and then, you know, letting it speak to me. And then the ones that really speak to me, they, they speak to me. And then I make, I print them and then I share them here. <laughs> and they speak to everybody. Yeah. You know, we used to actually do that in the hospital. And when I was learning how to read x-rays, and I would go to the, the, the people that read x-rays better than anybody are the radiologists that read the whole hospital's x-rays every morning. They start at like four in the morning and they'll read a thousand x-rays before 6 a.m. And I'm like, how do you guys read a thousand? They said, if you spend more than three seconds on it, then <laughs> yeah. you don't know what you're doing. Like, because they, they know what normal looks like right. so well that they can spot abnormal in less than a second. Right. So they'll throw an image up there and be like, yep, that's good. And because wow. they just are trained what normal is. And that's how they train me as well. And so when I could look at something, I'd be like, yeah, that's good. Or yeah, that's something's wrong with there. And, and yeah, you're, you're right. You would notice it almost instantaneously. Mm-hmm. So it's you've trained your eye to know what you want and what, is, what you like and what is the quality that you instantly know what's not. So that's totally, pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Going back to that. 10, 10 photos a year on a, for, for something great. When did you, and this is a little deeper question that I'm, 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 I know, I know John will take it, take it deeper. When did you know what your value was 
to the point where you could ask the pricing for your value? Because we talked a little bit about mm -hmm. this. Tell us a little bit about that and what the night before was like on that first big sell that you had. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's still the you know the, the thing that's interesting is like the value is always changing. Mm -hmm. Like it's never fixed. You know what I mean? I don't want to fix myself. I don't want to put a ceiling on myself, mm -hmm. right? Or a ceiling on my work. Yeah. So I think the value hopefully will continue to change over time. But I think I just knew I saw the value of my work, and I really believed in it. I was really passionate about it, and I 110% um, you know, love what I do and really truly believe in it. And so, yeah, it's, hard, it's a hard question, but I remember like, like literally like, like a couple weeks ago, I just I closed the largest deal I've ever closed, like the biggest to a, to a private um, collector. Like not a corporation, but like to uh, collectors who are collecting pieces and um, that amount is many fold what I'm about to say and I remember this is probably like s seven years ago or so mm -hmm. I remember I sent an invoice it was the first kind of high ticket art sale I ever tried because I, I was selling art when I was in high school I was mm -hmm. selling my art when I was in college oh, wow. I was selling my photos yeah um, I would when I was in college I would um, do like these craft markets, not flea markets, but like where different people, sure. makers, different creative people would set up their, their booth, their festival tents. or something. Yeah, and I would do these art festivals like and on the weekends through college, like travel South Carolina, do in Athens, Atlanta, wherever. And uh, I would get to show my work and I would get feedback from people. Um, and I failed so much, you know. <laughs> but through that process, I was able to see my value to that those audiences in hindsight they totally wasn't the right audiences mm -hmm. you know so my value was limited partially by the, the audience mm -hmm. but also in just the environment mm -hmm. presentation um, but i remember a couple of years after that <laughs> like i was selling my work for like i think i was selling work for like three hundred dollars like a like wow. like smaller than this but like you know it was mm -hmm. like that was like oh wow that's a lot of money right mm -hmm. um and then, maybe like seven years ago or six years ago, I remember sending an invoice to somebody for $6,000 for like four pieces of art or something. And it was at the time, it was the biggest. Like it was the first like high, kind of higher ticket amount at ever. And I remember being so nervous, you know? I had limiting beliefs. I had never you know, done this before, I'd never. Um, and uh, I was so nervous in that invoice, I could barely sleep that night. And uh, they ended up, they paid the invoice. And they were really happy. It was a great experience. And uh, I think that, doing that experience, you know, a thousand times, you know, you have a different perspective on value because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's you're, you're doing it on a daily basis. I think, and also I said this the other day, I think something that has definitely influenced how I look at myself and my values are, you know, examining my limiting beliefs. You know, we all have limiting beliefs. We all have beliefs. We all have core belief systems and, uh, that are influenced from our childhood, from our upbringing. Mm -hmm. So no parent is perfect. So we all have limiting beliefs, just how we grew up. And so there's this quote that I pulled the other day uh, at a yoga class. Mm -hmm. And this quote 
really sums up to me um, how I've been able to build my art career, really. And it applies to everyone. And I'm going to butcher it. I don't even remember who the quote's from. But um, it goes something like this. If you want to learn, then you have to grow. If you want to grow, you have to change. And you, if you want to change, you have to become exposed. And if you want to become exposed, then you have to throw yourself into a, a new environment. So do it. Throw yourself right now. That's the, the quote. I could be butchering it, but the basis of it. And so what really sticks out to me in that quote is the word expose, not because, you know, photography, but literally like exposure to different ways of living, exposure to different um, beliefs, exposure to different ways of being, and exposure to, to different ways of doing things, you don't know literally until you're exposed, you know? And so when you get exposed, like, it just opens a whole world. And so uh, seeking exposure through education has been a key to me educating myself through obviously you can educate yourself from by doing through action mm -hmm. it takes a long time you learn through failure um, you can fast track that you know through books yeah. learning from other people's failures and obviously mentors and so I've surrounded myself with with mentors and coaches and books um, that have really helped me see my value mm. and see and be exposed um, of a way of doing things, but what's crazy is like, if I could, it, like, ta ten years ago, ten years ago I graduated high school. If I could talk to myself, <laughs> high school self, and tell that person like what I'm doing now, that person would be like shocked, mm -hmm. like of what I'm doing because it's it was that person's dream. I, I didn't know at that time. I didn't think it was through, through, through this vehicle, but like, I would, if I could talk to that person, yeah, he would be just completely like, blown away, because I wasn't exposed yeah. to what is possible. I think that too. There's a lot of, um, at least I know for myself, that exposure and those challenges and those opportunities um, bring vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And that that exposure uh, with it in the past for me has brought fear, you know, and anxiety. Um, how did you overcome that? Because you've you've been, you've talked a lot about how you knew that your life was going to take a different path, um, and that you wanted to to create that path for a lot of guys who may be <laughs> feeling, hey, I've got this this dream in me. I want to be a race car driver. I want to <laughs> do whatever. Um, I was just reading this book, um, and I'm going to mess the guy's name up, so I'm not even going to say it, but it was so good they can't ignore you. Mm. And it's a really terrific book. My sister gave it to me. Uh, but he was he was kind of talking about that, going beyond that fear, getting beyond that anxiety, uh, and mastering whatever it is that you want to do, whatever that art is. Did you ever have that anxiety and fear when you said you stumbled? Oh, yeah. I still have fear all the time. Like, literally, I... And this morning I got an email uh, regarding a decision that I'm going to be making in the near future. And it's a really big decision, like <laughs> could have huge uh, financial implications. Could if could be go really bad, right. or it could go really good. Right. 
Who knows? But so I have a lot of fear. I literally felt that fear today. But what puts me over that fear? I mean, well, first I think that you have to be uncomfortable. You're going to experience fear. Have to to grow. Like just part of growing and part of life. We all experience fear. It's, we're programmed to experience fear, and fear can be a really great thing. Um, it can keep you alive. <laughs> but I think what gets me through fear is uh, faith in uh, myself. I guess there's like two forms of faith. One, one's not really faith, but faith in just like my own ability. Um, I just have confidence. I don't know where it's developed from, but just that if I will be able to handle situations as I come and make the best decision I can in the moment, but also just like an intuition. I feel like I've always had an intu intuition or my gut tells me to do something and I trust that intuition very much so. Um, and the, so far that intuition, that gut feeling that I trust, it usually turns out to be, to lead me in a good direction. So mm -hmm. I continue to trust it. I think those two things like really help me. Uh, I think also too, you know, what helps other people too is uh, faith in a higher power. Um, helps people get through fear um, mm -hmm. But for me, I'd say like the faith in myself or that and that intuition, trusting that intuition in myself and getting over the fear. Kind of looking at your track record, I was listening to a podcast, uh, Craig Rochelle's podcast mm -hmm. all the way down here, and he talks about the negative versus positive, right? And there were people who um, did a study and it was like 10 to 1 clicks on a negative article versus a positive article. It bleeds, it leads, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, he was talking about going back and seeking. It's easy. We can catastrophize. You know, I can go back and say, you failed here. You failed here. Mm -hmm. You messed that up and lose sleep over it. Really, I have recently. <laughs> um, but you have to intentionally go back and find those instances where you didn't fail mm -hmm. and where it worked out really, really well. And maybe you made a difference in somebody else's life. Yeah. You know, not only did it work out mm -hmm. for you, but it worked out for other people, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it, it sounds like that may be able to build the confidence as well a little bit that, hey, I've, I've got an incredible ability and skill set. I've made some really great choices, and here I am now, so I'm not going to worry about the next one that comes about. Is that, a, is that a good assessment of what I just heard? Yeah, but I'm still going to, I mean, it's a worry, you yeah. know, like sure. this, this decision I'm making right now, it's like definitely worries me if, if the variables go south, it doesn't right. go out as hopefully... Mm -hmm. I anticipate, but um, so I experience, experience the worry and the fear. It's just how I guess I deal with it in the present moment. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone does not experience fear. I mean, I experience fear and big waves. And I think you know the ocean again, wow. like huge teacher in that regard is like staying calm um, and not panicking, or just staying calm in the in the moment. Um, that really helps. That has really translated to my life. With, with gravity, like it's been a huge uh, impact on my life um, of taking like those lessons in the ocean and, and you know, trans sort of transposing them to my life. Yeah. You know, something else that you that you said in there and you you actually you were talking about when you were selling art in college, but it's it's very important. Uh, some things that you that you said in there, you, you were talking about 
our value, like you, you, the value of your work then was determined by, the, by your audience, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And your value is also determined by your environment. But how much even more so now as an adult, uh, as, as somebody who's got a gallery, who has a presence, who has a, a community presence, everybody knows you down here and, and everybody knows your work. Uh, but it all the time, it goes back to who we allow in our audience that gives us our value. Isn't, and isn't that funny? Because if we have the wrong people in our audience, mm. well, then our value is lower because we don't see, like if we have people talking us down on a regular basis, your value goes, it doesn't matter what you make, your value, self-value goes down. If you're in the wrong environment, your value goes down. But in the right environment, around the right audience, your value goes up. And I think uh, us as guys have a very hard time ascribing our value and finding our value and pinning our value outside of circumstance. I think uh, we, we have a hard time of, if, if we do well at work, we have value. If we provide for our family in this way, we have value. If we're getting along with our wife or girlfriend in, in, in your case, uh, we have value. If those things aren't going well, then we don't have value or we're worth less than we were. Um, and I just want to take a second here for guys that are listening. We are, we are not stocks and bonds. We do not lose value on, on the day. We do not gain value on the day. We are created beings by God who have value. Um, and, and I just, I, uh, if I had been told that <laughs> at certain parts of my life, that it doesn't, it's not what you're doing that gives you value to who you are, mm -hmm. that gives you value, that would, have, that would have meant a lot at certain points. I've had a lot of people cheering me on throughout my life and you have too. It sounds like you've had people in your corner uh, that have that have have been there for you. You had a good, you know, you had a good family, which helps. I had a good family, which helps. Um, John's uh, mom and and his mm -hmm. sisters and and your dad when he was when he was still alive. And my dad when he was still alive. Uh, cheerleaders, man. They they're always in our corner, and that helps so much. But there's guys out there that don't have that. And so when you said your value is determined by your audience. You were, you were marketing to the wrong audience. So uh, guys that are listening, um, I would encourage you to market yourself to the right audience, right? Uh, how did you find that right audience? You said you found it through a lot of failure. You, you made a lot of, you know, you went to a lot of craft fairs that, that didn't appreciate your work and, or you didn't, it didn't click yet. When you were down here and you started selling your artwork and you had that first big, big purchase that kept you up all night the night before, how did you feel the day after? And when did you say, I can do this now? This is, this is something that's, this is gonna feed my surfing habit for, <laughs> for the rest of my life. When did you, when did you do that? Um, I definitely haven't even, that's a good question. I think the day after when the, the, it's cl you know, the closed or the invoice is paid, I remember <laughs> I think probably felt like the richest person on earth. Like, yeah. wow, like I just got paid to do what I love. Yeah. Like at the time I thought it was, you know, it was a lot of money. It was amazing. I mean, it felt mm -hmm. like I was on top of, you know, just really, really probably motivated me to continue. Obviously it motivated me to, motivated me to continue, continue down that path. Sure. Um, 
I don't think there's ever a single moment where I just like, this is what I'm, I, I, I committed to it so long ago and I just, there was never, I feel like never really a moment where it was just like, aha, this is what I'm gonna do. I just kept mm -hmm. trying and failing and trying and failing and just slowly uh, working my way through it. Um, but I would say like, a pivotal moment for me was uh, my first like corporate sale, mm -hmm. I'd say, where a corporation bought like a giant amount of work, like 15 or 16 pieces. I mean, it was at the, it was a lot of, it was, it, was it you know, it paid for a lot of surf trips. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it enabled me to mm -hmm. invest the money and to back into the business. And so um, that was a huge moment for sure, like a really big win. Awesome. Um, yeah. And it, it feels, um, hearing you talk about it, and I love how passionate you are about your work, uh, it, it sounds very organic. Like, you were doing this anyways, you were out there at the right time, the right place, and you were taking pictures, almost like the musician who's, who's playing an instrument for himself, because it's incredible, and they enjoy it, and it's therapeutic. And then you turn around and show it to somebody else, and they're like, that's incredible. That's mm -hmm. really, really amazing. I would, how can I buy that? Yeah, I think, what you said is a good observation. It's completely organic. Um, I love the water. I love surfing. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I love taking pictures of the water. I'm oversimplifying it, but right. yeah. So it was just complete natural progression of the subject matter that I love to to make work ab about. Um, you know, a lot of people ha have that same connection too. So it's they have that connection to that that subject matter. So that's <laughs> why it's uh, that's why it works because people have that connection to it. Mm -hmm. But um, it definitely wasn't easy. It was very organic, but it definitely wasn't easy. I mean, it, I did experience a lot of failure and like at a time I was a quote unquote, you know, starving artist, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I move so fast. Sometimes I don't stop and reflect, so I'm like literally reflecting this moment. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy, very difficult, but I guess um, if, I was, if I could talk to myself, if I could talk to the 18-year-old Jonah or the 25-year-old Jonah and say, hey, if, if you want to start in you know, a career in art, this is, what, this is what you should do. This is what I'd tell them. I would say, first and foremost, like, develop your craft. That's, that's the most important thing is your craft, um, your, your subject matter, your niche, like, your style, and get it to the point where like, someone can look at your photo or your piece of or your painting or whatever your medium is, your sculpture, and they can look at it within one second I know, of looking at it, they know it's, oh, that's, that's Jonah, or, you know, oh, that's, that's that person. Like, they can see it instantly. Um, and after you get to that point, you know, is, and, you know, testing it and see if it resonates with people. Um, and if what you love to create resonates with people, um, then you have yourself a really awesome opportunity. And so then it becomes about uh, getting your work in front of the right people uh, through marketing um, and, and sales. So mm -hmm. investing a lot of time and energy and skills. You know, I'd say like right now, even though I spend so much time, like yesterday I was like in the water all day. Half the day I was surfing, half the day I was photographing. Um, but that to me is not, that's not, photographing is not work. Like I, I photographed for like an hour and a half this morning. Like that's not, that's <laughs> just what I do. It's, yeah. it's extension of myself. That's only five to ten percent of the actual business of you know having an art gallery. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would tell myself or tell somebody who wants to have their own art gallery or wants to, have to sell their own artwork, 
to really invest in skills, um, skills of marketing, first and foremost, and sales. Um, yeah, and and you can invest in those skills through through education. Honestly, I would say not <laughs> not the college education. Mm -hmm. I went to University of Georgia. Shout out to Univers University of Georgia. <laughs> Had a great experience there. Cannot really tell you what I learned from the marketing department there. However, I I had a really valuable experience there. Uh, I minored in art, and that really helped me s like be able to critique art and like mm. look at it objectively and look at other people's work objectively and like talk about it in a and be able to speak about it and and so that was really informative experience. That was one form of education I have. Um, another form of education I have was just learning how to market like my band had a band. So that experience really taught me a lot. Um, but yeah, to go back to what I was saying, I really invest in education. And so like, sure, you could spend 50 grand a year or however much a year on going to college. But if you want to be an artist, honestly, I would say don't go to school. Mm -hmm. um, waste of time and money, unless you want to have that experience, not waste of time and money. Don't go to university. Don't go to university. Uh, take that time, invest it into your craft, mm -hmm. and invest into yourself through other education, through marketing courses, marketing coaches, um, sales courses, sales coaches, um, you're going to get a way larger return on your time and money <laughs> by going that route. If you have the right you know, education, that is, of course, um, than going to a school and then just putting everything you're learning into action and put it into implementation like as soon as possible after you learn it. Because you can learn, you know, we all can learn things, but if you don't put it into action, then it's useless. So uh, that's, yeah, if I could go back in time. I wouldn't not go to university, because I learned a lot through the process, and I wouldn't be where I am today without that. But the best investment I found is investing in skills for myself, because those skills are what's going to take you to the next level really fast to increase your income way more than dollar cost averaging to the soccer or something. You know what I mean? Like skills, investing in skills are the, the most important thing in my mind in the education. So I would, I'd say, yeah, again, just to invest in your, um, in your art craft and invest in your, your skills that are required to run an art business. That is literally the entire point of that book I just told you. It was, it, they call it career capital. Mm -hmm. It's like investing in yourself, developing those skill sets mm -hmm. and abilities. And so I'm really interested in, because uh, I've, I've done marketing and sales for 21 years on, on the corporate side, so I'm really interested in, in um, kind of what that process looks like for someone who's selling a product, whether it's art or mm -hmm. a widget or you know whatever it is, social media, uh, yeah. you know, face-to-face, -face, um, yeah. what publications, like what... Um, what are some things that have worked? What are some things that have not worked that you feel comfortable talking about? On the marketing side, sales side? Yeah, or marketing and sales side. Well, on the marketing side, I mean, it's super, the principles are simple. The fundamental is like, well, you have something, you have a product or service, and people have to know about it, right? So you have to get traffic to, you have to get eyeballs to see your work or your product or service. and. Uh, you know, through sales, a certain percentage of those eyeballs are going to um, convert. And so it's a game of, or, of getting more traffic and 
being able to convert that traffic into sales, whatever you're selling. So uh, definitely a process of uh, repetition, of, of learning and failing. Uh, I think you know I use digital marketing. Digital marketing is huge. You know, email marketing, social media marketing, um, and you know then uh, in-person sales and you know sales are really all about connecting with someone and um, if it's the right fit, overcoming objections. So yeah, for me, what's what's worked for me is learning something from a coaching program or learning something from a, a book or learning something from another source of learning material and then applying that in, in my practice mm -hmm. and uh, seeing if it works and seeing if it doesn't work. It's kind of like a, everything's, a, you know, you're, you're testing as you go, really. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I might have a vision of where I want to go. I might have a goal. I'm very goal-driven, goal-oriented, but I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get to that goal. It's a process of kind of figuring it out. Trial and error. So it's interesting that so you do you do work you do work in waves. We live in a community that basically functions like waves. Yeah. Every Saturday, yeah. hundred thousand people come in. Every Saturday morning, they go out, um, and it, it, they come and they go. Explain to the people who don't know what 30A is, because mm -hmm. there's still people that don't know. I mean, I know we have millions of people that visit down here, but a lot of people that I talk to still on the regular, they have no idea what Highway 30A is. If you were advertising for 30A, mm -hmm. uh, which your work advertises, because it's <laughs> taken here, right. um, how would you describe 30A to someone in this community mm -hmm. that is really only 15,000 people, right? but 15 million a year. Right. Uh, describe that community and what this community means to you. Yeah, well, what, what's special about 38A to me might not be the same thing to everyone, but the best way I can describe it, what I think it makes it, it's really, it's really one of the, like, these variables I'm about to say, like one of the most unique places, in, you know, in the United States or on Earth. We have the beautiful Emerald Coast, <laughs> the Gulf of Mexico, one of the most beautiful beaches in the world, white sand beaches, that's like the main attractor, right? But also we have lot, large plots of protected land, whether it's um, dune lakes or state forest. Um, and then also bordering that, we have a large bay system. So we're basically surrounded by water on both sides. On the We look to the south, we're surrounded by the Gulf of Mexico, we look to the north, we're surrounded by the bay, by the bay and there's all these lakes in between, and state forest. And then you throw in the little developments of the urban developments. It's not really rural, mm -hmm. but it's also not suburban, but it's also not urban. It's like a blend of all three, surrounded by all this nature. So that, to me, is what makes 30A special, those variables that like we have an incredible lifestyle of having a lot of space, being able to see the horizon line in a lot of different places, like everywhere you look, you can see the horizon, sunrise and sunset, but also not feeling trapped like you're in the city, but also not feeling like you're, there's nothing to do because um, you're stuck in the country. So it's like a blend mm -hmm. of all these, of kind of everything to me. And uh, really incredible community as well. Um, is a really uh, cool pocket of people who live here. 
Um, a lot of uh, creative entrepreneurs, a lot of people who do their own thing, have their own businesses. And uh, to me, that's what makes this area really special. It's really about, to me, what makes it special is like the environment, the, the, the water. Mm -hmm. And for, for people who've never been here, um, I guess they could watch the Truman Show was filmed here, right? Right, yeah. And um, if you go into certain parts of the community, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how they feel about the Truman Show. I thought it was terrific on, on many different levels, yeah. uh, especially with social media and, and kind of uh, mainstream media. But uh, there is that sense of community. There, you know, there are people that will talk to you that are friendly, that um, engage with you, that, that relate to you. And it is it a transient community? Is it a, a touristy community? Or is, it, or is there a network or a community of people who are here regularly that you do life with? There's definitely a pocket of people who live here, full-time locals, for 100%. But, and, but there's a large, obviously, like this, this economy is driven by tourism, hospitality. So every week, as Varek said, every Saturday is kind of like the turnover day. We have so many people coming and leaving this area, which on one hand is really great for the economy, you know, great for businesses, but also um, for me personally, it gets kind of old. It's just, you know, something you have to deal with it's not my favorite thing. There is a local population, but it's pretty small. Um, but at the end of the day, there's still a really cool pocket of people here. Um, and we're surrounded literally like almost like paradise, you know. Feels like paradise. Mm -hmm. uh, at least to me. Looks wake like up, go to the beach. Um, it, the pros outweigh the cons for sure, mm -hmm. to me. Well, I think that it's pretty cool. Uh, to look and start where we were and looking at pictures and talking about surfing and finding a line of sight and then moving into your life and see how you've kind of had that line of sight for most of your life. It, it wasn't a late thing. And uh, then moving on to you know, acknowledging your community, uh, respecting and caring for your community, being one with your community. Um, and then promoting your community to the world. Uh, so I think we've had, as, as far as I'm concerned, I think we've had a great time uh, here yeah. and, and we've learned a lot about you. We've learned a lot about what makes you tick. We've learned about a lot about ourselves in, in how to make decisions and how to step out into things and, and ways that we can be confident even in failure. Yeah, as, you're, as you talked about, you fail many times as, as, as we all have. Um, and so I, I want to thank you for being a part of this with us. Uh, as, as we air this episode, um, you have a book that's going to be coming out uh, probably about a, a few weeks after. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Um, people will have access to maybe a couple of, a couple of the pictures that are going to be in it on your website, which, which we'll link uh, here uh, to the podcast, but tell us a little bit about the book that you've got coming out. What was the idea behind it, and what are you trying to accomplish with it? So the book is titled "Where Waters Meet," and the catalyst for the book uh, is really me. I have a I value the environment. I really love the earth. I really love um, and want to protect. This, this incredible place which I just described. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have a really unique uh, opportunity in that 
this environment in this area is still relatively pristine, um, but with the rate of development going on, that could change over time. So we have a unique opportunity where we don't necessarily have to work backwards um, and repair the environment. We can protect it, which is a really great place to be in. And so the catalyst for the book is that to educate people about uh, this environment that we live in. And specifically, a, there's a sort of a, it's called a coastal dune lake. It's a type of lake. Um, there's only 15 of them in this area, and they're literally one of the most unique lakes in the world. They don't occur anywhere else, um, and they share this intermittent connection with the ocean. And so I've been really fascinated with that, um, that phenomenon. And so for the last five years, I've gone up in helicopters and used drones to photograph this coastline from the air and captured where the waters meet. Um, and so uh, the book is 424 pages long. Uh, it's an absolute beast. I spent a long time on it. And so uh, I'm really excited to share it with people. Uh, you can order it on my website. And uh, I hope that uh, my goal through the book is not only to educate people about this coastline, how special it truly is, but also um, I chose to shoot it from an aerial perspective because, you know, when you, when you change, if you can change your perspective, you really can change your life. And so I wanted to just hopefully inspire people to change their perspective. Nice. And so if you can share with us, uh, share with us your website, mm -hmm. uh, social media, and how people can get in touch with you when they take a look at your work and, and they want to take some of it home. Yes, yeah, so my website is jonahallen.com. Uh, you can find me on social media on Instagram at jonahallenstudio. And the best way to get in touch with me is to uh, shoot me a text. Uh, you can find my uh, phone number on my website. Um, so yeah, looking forward to connecting with you. All right. And, and we'll link all that in the show notes. Absolutely, too. absolutely. Uh, Jonah, thank you. Uh, thank you for taking your time with us and sharing with us and sharing with everyone else. And John, thank you for yeah. Driving down Thanks for uh, having me. today and Loved being a part of this. And we would be remiss if we didn't thank uh, Noah Escobar for allowing us to be able to have our first video uh, recording and video capture of a podcast. Thank you so much, Noah, for taking your time out today and doing this. And we hope that you guys have learned as much as we have today. We hope you have a lot of takeaways and a lot of questions. Uh, you can bring up on social media and, and ask in the group and ask in uh, on the website. And so for Mr. Fitz Podcast, I'm Verrick Birchfield. For John King, Jonah Allen, No Escobar, hope you guys have a great day. Thank you for joining us today on the Mr. Fitz Podcast. Varick and I would like to give a special thanks to Jonah Allen for allowing us to join him in studio on the beautiful Emerald Coast of 30A in Florida. If you have any questions or would like to shout out, you can email us at info at Until next time, have a great day.